Is it recording? Yeah. What, even though nothing's oh. happening? Oh, there you go, there you go. this be this difficult Cast. justin you have been scrambling around looking for bands what have been on tour in the usa in it well not just the usa they've been all over the place i'll oh, come off it yeah france germany ireland what yeah usa Ooh. all over the place yeah this is a special program special special. Can we make it clear this is a special? So this doesn't break the run of season and yeah. episode. Yeah, we So thought, don't panic. No. <laughs> this is a special about pet needs. Pet a needs. special pet needs edition. Why are we doing it? Well, because I got to interview the guys and it was such a good interview. I kept trying to think of which bits I could chop out and it was just so entertaining. We thought, no. Yeah. Let's make it into a whole special because I don't. I didn't want to edit anything out. It was so good. Yeah, let it yeah. roar. Let me just give you a little bit of a history uh, first. So the band formed in around 2016. God, not that long ago then. No, no. Um, George moved down from the Midlands. And who's George? George is the guitarist. Johnny's brother. Johnny's brother, right? So they're brothers. They're brothers, okay, right? Yes. Pet needs are Johnny vocals. George, guitar, Rich on bass, and Jack, drums. George moved down to Colchester, just stayed on Johnny's sofa at first. Yeah. Johnny had, had sort of already established playing a lot of acoustic gigs in mm. Colchester. Then his brother came down, decided to make a punk band. Why not? Why With not? With two people? Yeah, well, they got a drummer and a bass player. Yeah. And then for the next three years, they sort of built up a following, played uh, sort of locally. But then in 2019, they play at Camden Rocks where Frank Turner is headlining. Ah. Yeah. And they, that he said he was, they sent him a sort of cheeky message saying, oh, you should come and see us play sort of thing. Yeah. And he did. He, he turned up, saw them play and said, oh, they were the best band, you know, best sort of breakout band at Camden Rocks. Wow. Um, he, he came yeah. and saw them and then and loved them. This sort of all went into the pandemic. So think of it, that's 2019. What bad timing. Yeah, I know. Terrible timing. So 2020, they're thinking, oh, we can't, we can't play lockdown, et cetera, et cetera. It's all over. It's all, (laughs) well, kind of. He thought, yeah. He said, let's make an album. They're thinking, you know, this could be their swan song. They don't know what's going to happen. No, no. So they recorded the album at Tom, Tom Donovan's studio in Rowhedge. Yeah. Yeah. And, but then, Frank said, what are you guys doing? And I said, oh, we're recording. And he goes, oh, I've been learning how to mix and master. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so he ended up mixing and mastering yes. their first album, Fractured Party Music, which was released in 2021. Yeah, they sort of had to talk to Tom Donovan and say, oh, you know, I know we were going to mix it. <laughs> but but who's he was this a, guy? He was pretty gutted. Yeah, uh, apparently. Yeah. Well, you would be, I guess. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. But, um, but pleased for them as well, I think. Yeah. yeah he's credited on the, the album. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then they did, the, you know, they did the borrowed toothpaste tour, you know, which where yes. they would go round and just stay at people's houses. That's right. Like one minute they'd be playing some pokey little flat. The next time they'd be playing a yeah. millionaire's mansion. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was, yeah. but that was another thing that generated a lot of fans. And a lot of people picking up on the yeah. band and stuff because including people, being yeah, inclusive. People, yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah, people. A lot of people invested it. Also in 2021, they um, were signed by Extra Mile uh, Recordings. Yes, right. so th- that was another a great thing for them. They were sort of building up to this point mm. before pandemic, and they yeah. sort of That's... came out of this cocoon as a butterfly on the other side of the yeah, pan- yeah, pandemic. Yeah. yeah, because then 2022, they did 27 gigs in the first three months. Right, yeah. As well as that, in February, they played with an orchestra. That's Did right. Did you see that? Yes, I remember, yeah, yeah. Which I talked to them about that. They, the official recordings aren't out yet. But <laughs> yeah. another thing he put in one of his write-ups, actually, was that they've done they've gone through 12 countries and further than the circumference of the Earth. <laughs> yes, well, I can imagine. The driving they've been doing. Yeah. I mean, he talks about yeah. some of the gigs between, uh, or the driving between yeah, gigs yeah. and stuff. It sounds absolutely... It's like you couldn't do that in a week here, could you? Some oh. of the drives they did in a day. It's crazy. It is crazy. But it was a really good interview. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I do urge you to see them live. I haven't seen them live. 
No. You know what? The other thing is, is you actually caught up with them. Because this has been lingering for a while. And finally, you caught them in the corner of Three Wise Monkeys. That's right. You put your arms out so they yeah. couldn't get out. I said, oh, you. Got him by the ear. Dragged him out. Yeah. Come on, you, you little urchins. They wanted to go outside. And I thought we were going to sit outside on the street. And then they went the other way. What? They went the other way, out to the bit, past the, yeah. the doors near the, st- the doors that go straight upstairs. Yeah. Out to the bit where the, all the cool kids hanging out. Oh, and you said, I can't go out I there. I can't go there. They'll beat me up and nick my dinner money. That's right. But luckily there was no one else there. No, but so, also you brought extra dinner money, so you could actually right. almost hand it I out. had. Yeah. 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 That was good. Well, you survived it. Well done. And finally, pet needs. Tick. Let's have a listen to what they had to say for themselves. Why not? Those toothpaste boys. Justin here from Litter of Kings and Friends with a squeaky door and Johnny and George from Pet Needs. Well, it's great to catch up with you guys. Oh, lovely to see you, mate. How last, are you doing? Yeah, good. Last time I saw you was in Burlington, Vermont. Yeah. Right at the start of the American tour. I suppose it's a short little interlude before you're off again. To, uh, UK get, tour or Germany? Yeah, Germany, Germany. Germany, then UK tour. It feels like a short interlude in some ways, but in other ways it's five weeks off. And we haven't had five weeks off since January. So it feels like a million years as well. We're like four days into it at the yeah. moment. Um, and at the moment, being home feels like absolute bliss. Like, ask us in a couple of weeks, but it feels amazing. It's been a nuts year. Um, but yeah, it's good to be back in Colchester, man. So you got together, I'm not sure about the dates, because your Facebook page says sure. 2011, but then I read ah, something and this is, ah. mm, you got together in 2016. Is that more like it? So you found us out here. Um, <laughs> we got together in 2016, but I set up a page for my solo stuff in 2011 that had quite a few Facebook fans already. Um, so, <laughs> so we thought instead of starting again and uh, starting with no Facebook likes, um, we transfer over like my name to that name. And so like um, Jonathan Marriott, which is what I was doing it under, became Pet Needs. Yeah. Um, and some of the songs, um, our very early songs, were songs that kind of transferred over as right. well. So the song uh, Punk Isn't Dead is just up for sale. Like an iteration of that had been has been around now for about 10 years. Wow. Um, and the first time I ever played it um, was in the Queen Street, Street Brew House over there when it was uh, Tim Pan Alley. Tim. Yeah, my friend Rob reminded me of it the other day. So you moved to Colchester first, mm-hmm. is that right, Johnny? And yeah. you came down in 2016? Yes. From the Midlands? Yeah, and that's when we started. That's yeah. it. That's, that's it. when we started. Yeah, yeah. And then it sort of, you were building mostly around this area, but then you started getting some bigger gigs, say, 2019 Candom Rocks is quite significant. Yeah, so it's kind of, I'm really into the nature of chaos of one thing that kind of leads to another, that leads to another, that leads to another. Um, and one of the local gigs that we did often um, was a John Peel Centre over in Stowmarket. Right, yeah. And we were really looked after by um, the team of people that work there and just love them and still like um, really love them as well. I'm just going to put a bag by the store <laughs> to stop it squeaking. <laughs> Can I use that chair, George? You grab another one. Sorry, we'll edit that. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, so it was the uh, John Peel Centre in Stone Market, and then they invited us down for um, Independent Venue Week to headline something that was involved in Radio 6, and Steve Lamatt came down to that, right. and he saw us, and he was friends um, with someone from Fierce Panda Records who kind of started working with us a little bit, who was then friends with Chris McCormack from Camden Rocks. Right. Um, who then booked us for Camden Rocks, um, which is then where Frank Turner saw us play. And it's kind of like <laughs> tiny little things, all starting from the local scene, the John Peel Centre, have all led to us now touring the world, which is nuts. Did you know Frank Turner was going to be there before you played that gig? Or did you spot him while you were playing? Or was it a complete surprise? We knew he was headlining um, the main stage and I always get like retrospective anxiety because I always think, what if this little thing didn't happen? <laughs> like, we were in the minibus on the way down to Camden and I, I saw that Frank had said, I'm about in the daytime, I'm going to be checking out some artists. Um, and I, I said to Johnny, hey, why don't you just drop him a message and just say we're, we're playing at um, Dublin Castle, wasn't it? Mm. Um, just to see if, see if he'll come down. And that's what led to to what happens and I always think what if that didn't pop up on my feed that I saw that he was that he was um, milling about at the festival um, 
yeah, we wouldn't be there right now doing this. So yeah. So pretty... was he sort of hiding behind a pillar, peeking out, or did you see him in the crowd? No. So he's a very tall man, and he <laughs> came like we were playing the venue that we were playing was about a two hundred cap venue, maybe with about kind of 100, 120 people in there, which yeah. was one of the biggest audiences we played to at the time. Yeah. Um, and you have to kind of like step down to get into the back room, and. We just saw this big, like, tall, ominous figure kind of like appear <laughs> through the shadows, and I'm like, I'm "Sure, that's is that kind of?" And George's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, he's there." Um, and I can't overstate the amount that we were big fans of his work at the time, still are as well. Yeah. Obviously, we're like good friends now as well. But um, we kind of sat on the curb afterwards, me and George, with the beer, going, "Well, that's." We've, we've completed music now like one of our favorite artists <laughs> has come to see us like if we never do anything else we'll be happy um, and then uh we kind of exchanged email addresses and nothing really happened after that for a, yeah. a year or two until lockdown um and then i had an email drop in our inbox just with the title of the word essex and it was from frank yeah um, and it transpires that he was moving to and now lives in essex yeah um and he didn't know anyone there and just said look if you ever want to meet up for a pint like hang out and stuff um and then he asked us like what have you been doing in lockdown and we said oh well we've kind of used the time to record an album right and he was like well that's interesting because i've been using the time to learn how to mix and master and all that kind of stuff and then one thing led to another again and then he ended up mixing the whole of the album uh, which then got picked up by extra mile recordings yeah and then it's, it's, it's so weird there's so many opportunities that were taken or so many chance meetings and stuff that could not have happened um, that did happen um, and it makes me think um, about how much of this is kind of like talent and skill and all that kind of stuff um, but also how much is like luck as well and I know so many artists in the Colchester scene where we spent more time in this scene than not in this scene um, that are incredible and like like so many bands I, I'm thinking specifically of um, my friend Ben as well who's in Dingus Khan and Super yeah. and stuff yeah. he deserves to be like the biggest artist in the world like <laughs> his songwriting is amazing yeah. and the performances yeah. are incredible and stuff and I can name loads of other people on the local scene as well um, and I still always still I get a little bit starstruck when I go and see him live because he is incredible um, and so we just get really humbled about how lucky we are to do this as well because yeah. it could happen to lots of different people so we massively uh, appreciate the opportunity you know when i saw you in burlington vermont you look like you've been doing it for so long it was so good i was oh, i thanks, really man. was blown away i was really impressed oh thank you so much you saw us on gig two as well so we had a lot of energy there <laughs> yeah. i was going to ask because obviously i said to peter or i think i said in one of the earlier podcasts mm. i'd like to see how you were at the end of the tour because yeah yeah how did you manage to keep the energy up um we quite, aged quite significantly <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, the energy on stage was always well, kind of because it's so much adrenaline and stuff like you kind of uh, like that was kind of fine because that's what you're there to do and if you're not yeah. enjoying that then it's never going to be worth it but the actual touring experience touring America is so different to touring the UK because it's so big like one of our shows we had a 21 hour drive between the shows um, and one of the times we spent I think it was just over four hours in a hotel. Like we got in at 2 a.m. and then had to leave at 6 a.m. Yeah. Um, and it was like that every single day because we were driving ourselves and we were selling our own merch, we were tour managing ourselves. So I thought touring, I thought once you're halfway through, you'll be able to kind of understand time and then it'll be downhill from there. Um, whereas we got to halfway through and I couldn't remember the start. So it's like just this weird kind of groundhog day where you're just going and going. So like the midway to like three quarters waypoint was uh, cloudy. Cloudy is a good, yeah, yeah. You kind of felt like you weirdly kind of like treading water. Apparently we played Oklahoma, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. um, but then as we got onto the East Coast as well, when things felt a bit more like a home straight, then it felt like yeah. time started to speed up again. Um, but yeah, just being on stage, it, need to enjoy that if you don't enjoy that the rest of it's so hard you're quite athletic i have to say there's <laughs> lots of jumping <laughs> yeah, have yeah. you had any like jumping accidents um i've no jumping accidents actually but i've had one accident in Petney's and it was in los angeles on the last show and it was in the last song of the last show of a two-month tour and i do this thing sometimes where I kind of like throw the mic stand up in the air yeah. um, as high as I can and I kind of see an arc 
and then I put my arm out and just bang, just catch it. And it's pretty easy to do, but it like looks quite exciting as well, um, especially on a bigger stage with a really high roof. Yeah. And I thought, right, last note of the lasso is going to be brilliant. <laughs> launched into the air after two months of being on the road and not sustaining any injury. Launched into the air, looked up, and then I just got the glare of every single light right in my eyes. And I thought, <laughs> I can't walk away from it because I don't want to look like like one of those arrogant people to just throwing something in the air just walked off like you're in a kind of motley crew or something so I thought I've got to at least still attempt this so I kind of put both hands in the air to try and uh, uh, to grab it and it just clattered down onto my left hand um, I don't know if I've broken it I broke this side of my left hand before like my little finger side but for like a month six weeks it was really hard to grip and it had like a massive bruise on it um, but apart from that uh, fortunately no no two bad injuries. George got stuck in an air vent in a roof in Bristol. <laughs> I remember that. There's a, there's a George-shaped um, imprint in the air conditioning unit at the Louisiana because I decided it was the last. It was on our headline run and it was sold out and it was like it was that moment of like this is insane. But I've never ever been to Bristol before and we were, it was right. sold out Sherwin's. It was. Um, I was like, I'm gonna do a sold out and I'm gonna crowd surf. Let's go for it. Not realizing that. Um, the roofs, the ceiling isn't quite as high on our headline tours as it is on a prank tour. <laughs> <laughs> I literally got squashed against the ceiling, stuck in an air vent. But apparently, yeah, there's a... And your guitar a, got stuck, my, didn't my, it? My, you couldn't there's get a video guitar. of it. My, my neck is literally bending on the guitar, trying to, <laughs> trying to get it out. And I was like, oh, God, I regret this. So, yeah, I've caused damage to other things more than me, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, you went into uh, lockdown. Yeah and intended to record. So we kind of, um, we went in with Tom Donovan. Um, wait for these, no, guys, no, guys. <laughs> So Tom Donovan. Yeah, yeah, so we went with Tom Donovan, kind of a, a local producer, who's actually produced Dingus Khan that we were talking about earlier. Um, yeah. And we spent an amazing week. He's a super kind of creative person. Yeah. And we've gone in and done singles with him before, but spending like a week doing an album, we could really deep dive into the process. Um, and it was always the plan that he was going to mix it and master it as well. Um, so we had to have kind of a big conversation with him as well, going, look, um, we've got one of our favourite artists is up for kind of mixing it, and would that be cool? Um, and he was a little bit gutted that he couldn't like yeah. do it himself, but he could understand like from our yeah. perspective, kind of it was the right decision. Um, and it, I think it was really good actually because this time as well we recorded album two and Frank Turner recorded it all yeah. and then he mixed it and then um, we got someone else to master it and I think right. having two people working on it in that way and it got mastered at Abbey Road as well wow. which is nuts <laughs> uh, but it's like I think having a second pair of ears on the mixing and mastering side is really really good um, so yeah it, it was originally going to be with if you look back at all of our EPs and stuff everything's been done with Tom right from day one and then um, our first album was that transition where Tom did all the recording and he's still named um, as a producer as well on, oh, on the um, on the record it's something then, I'm learning as well is it's not unusual to do that process that process that we did it's almost yeah, yeah. like that is the way it happens in the industry is you go with a super creative producer yeah. who will um, be with you in the studio and then it gets actually gets handed on for different with the different different disciplines, aren't they? Yeah. And I think if Frank had recorded Fractured Party music, it wouldn't sound like it does. Because Frank, because we recorded with him now, he's very much about um, perfection right. and about kind of, um, he'd give me like creative direction when I was doing vocals. Like he'd say, like, do this vocal, like you've just thrown a wallet on the floor or something like that. <laughs> uh, whereas Tom has more of a punk kind of, he gave me a broken microphone yeah. and said, if it's in tune, it's a take run around the room and so I was like running around the room jumping off stuff and everything and I listened I AB'd the album the other day literally walking around here actually through Castle Park I listened to our new one it's the day our new one came out then I listened to our old one um, and they're both sonically so different but yeah. I love um, the scrappiness of the first one I think it just like what Tom really injected into it was like sense of real kind of energy into it um, which is yeah brilliant I mean Frank was a um, he was asking questions like why did you sing these vocals down a broken microphone <laughs> when he was trying to mix them but I love it 2021 was a really big year you got signed uh, with Extra Mile yeah yeah and uh, in December you actually landed your first Ollie oh yes <laughs> <laughs> I did that was a happy and a sad day uh, because the day before we'd um, 
found out we were meant to be going on tour uh, with Frank Turner around the UK, the one we've just come back from now, um, in January and February. Um, so we had all, all given in our notice to our jobs and stuff, saying we're not coming back. Then the day before, we'd been told that um, the tour wasn't happening anymore because of COVID. Right. Um, but we still had a music video to shoot the next day, so we kind of like turned up. And um, the and actually, everything suddenly became a lot more poignant because we were recording a video for a re-recording um, for like the extended version of our album, of the song Punk Is Dead Is Just Up For Sale, and it was us kind of uh, the video was us kind of like selling all household items on uh, like a tally sales channel uh, like trying to like one of the things was a skateboard but something that was meant to be really funny suddenly became really really poignant because suddenly we were all unemployed <laughs> uh, but one of the things that Rich um, yeah wanted to sell on, on this channel was his skateboard um, and I just I I just learned how to do it that day. I don't know how. Um, but yeah, yeah, I was 33 years old at the time, and I didn't know it, so there we go. I'm not trying to get it. Do you both skateboard or do you not? Not at all. No, you, know, you don't skateboard not at all. Not at all. I used to um, play Tony Hawk on the PlayStation. Um, and I, used to, I used to push like Scooter as well, like Micro Scooter. When I was a kid, they were the massive things, yeah. uh, or the micro things. Um, but they were, uh, yeah, things that I was really into. Um, and I used to be relatively good on them, actually. And I blame that for my bad knees now. Because oh. like, now my knees are really shot. It's either that or jumping around on stage yeah. all the time. You get some good air. When yeah, you yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's For sure. The first three months of 2022, you did 27 gigs. That's like yeah. nine gigs a month. That's going for it. Were you booked up for these gigs? Are you still pursuing these gigs for yourself? Or how does that work? So this was us losing the tour and um, us going like uh, Rich and Jack, our drum and bass player, could go back to work and me and George couldn't. Um, or we could go to different work, I suppose, but we couldn't just drop back into our job. We'd been replaced at work. Um, and we were like, what are we going to do? We kind of made a commitment that we wanted to be creative for a, at least a year and try and do it for the job for as long as possible. Um, and so with... Um, kind of little groups of fans all the way around the country. Um, we just did a tour of DIY like house shows and we were playing like in garages and in gardens and in living rooms and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it kind of like went from playing um, weird kind of like flat parties um, in like Bristol, Wales or something like that um, to playing like this millionaire's mansion with like a hot tub <laughs> and stuff. And it was like, it was, the weirdest couple of months but it was amazing because we didn't know what we were walking into right yeah. uh, but it's so cool because it was something that was exclusively built and promoted from the bottom up like we had there was no marketing budget actually because we were signed to an agency we weren't really allowed to promote them right. it just had to, that we were allowed to play private parties so there were a series of private parties oh, okay. um, and like financially it meant we could pay the rent but also I think it really solidified that relationship we were having with lots of new fans that had kind of got on board since we got signed and stuff because we were literally like sleeping in their house. Um, I think the hardest bit though was that we didn't account for the fact that if we were doing a tour of house parties, we were going to be at a house party every single night. <laughs> And that was hardcore, like, and especially because sometimes we were sleeping in the living room as well, so we had to be the last one oh, right. every single night, um, which was nuts. But it was really, yeah, really fun. I'm still hungover now. <laughs> How does that work? You know, because everyone thinks of rock and roll lifestyle of like, sure. you know, going for it, pint all the time. Do you do you have to scale that back? Keep an eye on that. You've hundred percent. I think. Well, it's weird because we're at a position now where money's really tight but we've been traveling the world having as much like alcohol and food and whatever you need um, all the time, whenever you want it. It's like, if you want another drink, there's gonna be another drink there straight away. Um, and at the start, it was like, this is amazing. It's like, I'm on it every single day. Um, Intravenous. But, yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, but if, especially in America, when you realize you're doing this for two months straight and then you realize that you've had four weeks where you've not had a beer, like not not had a beer every single day and you count that up and you say, if even if I've had two beers a day, I've had like a hundred beers or whatever. Um, you've got to be careful. And I think it's like physical health, but also like mental health can really, really crush. We were literally talking this morning about our relationship with alcohol. And um, I was reading a really interesting book um, called Bodies by a guy called Ian Winwood, um, which is all about this and I'd like recommend it to anyone. It's about that kind of excess in the music industry and how the music industry is kind of designed to 
take vulnerable people and kind of just eat them up and just spit them out again. And this is one of the ways that it does it is through just kind of like self-destructive excess. Um, but also when we were in America, we were touring with a band called The Bronx, who are the coolest people in the world. <laughs> but they are just on it every night. I really Every night. And it meant that we had certain nights where I was on top of um, the pub that they owned, um, that they owned, like letting off fireworks, like off the roof and stuff. And we had like loads of strange stories and loads of things that um, we'll be able to kind of like when we're old and grey, we'll like recount, uh, recount these stories. Um, but also like, uh, yeah, we've got to be careful as well. And I've got to look after my voice as well. That's yeah, the other yeah. thing. Uh, so we're getting better at it. On the UK tour, we were better, but nowhere near. Uh, perfect yeah <laughs> we took alcohol off our rider though that was a thing but we ended up buying beers anyway. but, <laughs> uh, yeah now it was drunk and skin but i've got a shoe so cool, okay. <laughs> thanks, thanks, thanks george yeah right see you in a bit mate see, see you later okay so we've broke the interview into two to two slices mm. so let's have a little i can't even speak properly now let's have a listen to toothpaste of their album, Fractured Party People. <laughs> Music. <laughs> oh, for f**k's sake. Right. Can I just say it? So let's listen to a track of their debut album, Fractured Party People. <laughs> right. Stop. F*** it. Fuck, fuck, fuck. No, no, no. no, no. That's what I'm let's, let's listen to a track now of their debut album, Fractured Party Music. And this is called Toothpaste. Call me 
So, Petneys, <laughs> they class themselves as a punk band. Their ambition when they started was to form a punk band to play in front of their mates. Mm. And look where, where, where they've ended I know. up. Yeah, Tour of America. And they never expected any of this. I mean, no, no. one expects this. No. Everyone starts from the same point, don't they, really? So the question is... What, what is do, punk? What is punk? What is punk? Because it seems to be, as far as the music's concerned, it seems to cover a very broad range. Mm. So does. is punk about music or is it about the attitude? It's interesting because from from a sort of English point of view... Punk, as far as I can see, started in this country with the Pistols. Because there was nothing before that which was genuinely a whole band you would call a punk band. Now, they get their influences from other things as well. They're not a completely unique thing. But they are one of those moments in music where everything suddenly changed. There's not many of those, is there? But the Pistols were an actual moment of complete change, like a revolution, really. There's a lot of other bands around in that scene, but they are the ones that really changed it. And you couldn't get more attitude, really, in a band that couldn't really function musically. So, I mean, that's almost entirely attitude, isn't it? Yeah. And so I kind of take punk from that point of view. But I know that punk sprays out across a large genre. John Lydon says, as soon- punk dies as soon as you start trying to put a label on it. Well, yeah, maybe that's what Pet Needs are saying with punk isn't dead, it's just up for sale. Well, yeah, it's, it's basically, it's not dead, but it's up for, like, people to do what they want with. Yeah. And we were talking about Green Day, you know, which they do have a kind of punk mentality in the sense that they look that way. They do look like that. I mean, yeah. you know, in their heyday, green hair, spiky, etc., loud guitars, you know. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's pretty clean. Yeah. Their sound is highly produced and pretty clean. I don't so know is it down to the production, though? Maybe punk can't be reproduced in the studio. And, then, and the only way you can reproduce it is by going to those, you know, those, those things that people expect to hear live and you try and reproduce that in the studio. But essentially, punk is a, a live thing, maybe. It's interesting. It's like we're continually just asking questions, but well, <laughs> not it, quite yeah. coming to any point. Well, I, I don't think we can answer it, because no. I think it's going to be a lot of different things for a lot of different people. We'd be interested to hear what yeah, anyone it thinks. Be, it would be nice to hear what other people yeah. thought, what, what punk is. Yeah, well, actually, it's one of the few genres, isn't it, that are very hard to define, actually. It is, it is hard to define. Well, like I said to you, maybe someone else can answer this. So Keen is a rock band with no guitar. Yes. Can you have a punk band with no guitar? Can you have a punk band with just a pianist? Just a pianist and like a string quartet. Well, but surely if you've got somebody like going for it, maybe Rat Manoff is a, a punk pianist. Well, yeah, precisely. Uh, so so is it, if it's just about attitude, then the instruments don't, don't, don't count. At yeah. the same time, you would not expect to call something punk unless it had guitars in it. Surely the guitar is pretty seminal. Well, like there are poets who call themselves punk poets, aren't they? Yeah, but only because it comes out of that scene. Is it attitude? Well, maybe attitude is the answer here. I don't know. We are, we are, we are, we are, we are, the litter of kings. We played with an orchestra. Yeah. Punk music with an orchestra. How did that work? It, it was uh, the most nervous I've ever been for a show in my whole entire life. Um, and we only did two songs as well. So we had, like, I literally warmed up my voice for four hours beforehand because I thought it's not just, if I'm doing it over distorted guitars and, and stuff, if I like my voice kind of cracks a bit and I just have to belt it out and scream it. That's kind of fine. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's kind of fine. Whereas with an orchestra, everything, like I've got 80 people that are relying on me this time. <laughs> um, so I was so nervous. It was part of uh, our record label did like uh, like an exhibition show with uh, these people called Buzzwell and Nyberg that kind of bring together different musicians to put this on. Um, and I was super, super nervous for it. And we got to practice with about a quarter of the orchestra the day before. Uh, and then we didn't really have time for a practice on the day, which meant that, because um, they're all sheet, reading sheet music and stuff, they don't really need to practice. And it meant that, that I was experiencing this for the first time along with the audience as well. Uh, and we did a song called As a Spin Cycle Span, which is quite a small, soft song, and it sounded really expansive. And then we did um, the Tracy Evans' Bed. And, 
Damon, the way it, they kind of written it, they made it drop halfway through the chorus. So it, instead of, so it was kind of building up. So it's like, it's like Tracy and his bed in my head. And then suddenly all the brass came in and it just went, a kind of creep. And it went, boom, and you can feel it hit <laughs> yeah. you in the chest. Wow. And it was like, I genuinely um, had tears when I walked off. Because oh, it yeah. was, that still like, we've had a mad year and we've played in front of a lot more people and stuff that was in front of me a thousand people but it's the weirdest most incredible and euphoric experience that I've ever had in music it was amazing and there is they did officially record the audio and video I don't know where that is but there's some kind of phone recordings on YouTube oh, okay. that kind of you can kind of see it but yeah. like, I can't wait for the official recording because oh, it was no, I really want to do a whole set like that one day. Really? I don't know how, like, obviously it costs so much money to, like, make it happen, but yeah, it'd be incredible. <laughs> I never, I just never expected to do it. Um, and the pressure, like, yeah, the pressure was immense, but then it just yeah. made the, like, yeah, the payoff was incredible. <laughs> so it was incredible. Best thing we've ever done, ever. You and obviously George, you and George have been together for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Since but there's a picture of you two as teenagers. Uh, yeah. George wearing a Ramones t-shirt. Sure. Yeah, and um, so what was your what was the first band you were in together? What was the name of it? Uh, we were in a kind of like riot girl, kind of X-ray specsy kind of band called Blow Up Doll. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think I was 17 and George was 15, I think. Right. Um, and. We were in Derby and we were kind of playing in the, there's a real kind of big old school punk scene around there. Um, and we got picked up by a little like local label called Still Dying Records. We had a manager and he used to like, uh, at the weekends he'd drive his van over and we'd jump in the van and our mates would get in the van. We'd go up to like Man Manchester and like to play the gigs um, with bands kind of like Vice Squad and UK Subs and stuff. Um, and we thought that's what music was like yeah. and then I went to university so we kind of split up um, or kind of we kind of met up and did the odd gig but it was more like George went and formed another band and I went and formed another band and we'd ring each other up and go how's your other band going we'd be like awful like no one's turning up in a van and driving us to big shows like I played to four people no one cares and it was really because we literally that kind of confirmation bias that oh no you'll play to 200 people every night and it'll be like people will look after you people will sell your merch and stuff so weird but it was a really fun band we did a 10 year reunion of that band um, oh, really? a few years ago um, which is really fun we haven't yeah. spoken to the singer Charlie for uh, she's a, a lady from Birmingham I think she still does her own stuff as well. We hadn't spoken to her for literally about seven or eight years or however long it'd been. And it was really fun to do those songs again. Yeah. I've got a lot of love for those tunes. I don't think I'd ever be able to write stuff like that again because it was so kind of um, juvenile. Not kind of, it was, it was kind of trying to be like what Pet Needs is like now, but I didn't yeah. have the kind of vocabulary or like yeah. the songwriting knowledge to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm fond of them. And it was great. We cut our teeth, played punk music, you know. So some of the names of the, some of the songs from back then? Uh, so Little Insane was one of them. Um, and then, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't, can you swear on this podcast? Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. Be, uh, I, okay, cool. Um, it's like, I can't remember the name of the next song, but this kind of like shows you where my headspace was and what my songwriting was like. Because it was like, um, don't you can tell me how to live my life when you're the epitome of everything I don't want to be and everything you say is shit. <laughs> Which is ultimate like teenage angsty yeah. punk lyrics. <laughs> Which yeah, I, I kind of say similar stuff now, but I'm a little bit more articulate. <laughs> One of the things I have noticed is you've got a great love for your fans, the Fractured Party people. Yeah group everybody wants to contribute and say what they it's they amazing. like to go to concerts they all taking photos there was a, a lego pet needs how to that's assemble the best thing in the world <laughs> so the lego thing um, that we got the other day someone bought it to a show um and it's like incredible like incredible like, i'm a massive fan of lego like oh, yeah. i love lego um, and i've got like loads of different sets at home um and i think like people like people in that group know that and then like yeah someone bought it to like bought this set they kind of gave a present to George at the merch desk he said oh, I've got a bag of something um, and I was like oh cool cool and then uh, we opened it up and I was like no wait it's got the booklets and stuff it was made at the like Lego shop in Denmark like and it's like they're even wearing like our branded merch 
Well, it's worked like I've yeah, 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 no, I've seen Have you seen the photos? Yeah, seen it's the pictures, yeah. incredible. So that was, yeah, that was amazing. People like send us gifts and stuff or like homemade merch and things like that. Um, and like uh, lots of kids kind of make us stuff as well, which is really cool to bring it to the merch desk. Um, but I think the biggest thing that um, like our group of fans or fractured party people have done is just um, advocate for the band yeah. all the time. And it feels like it's not a, they're not passive consumers of what we're doing. Yeah, they're like yeah. really kind of waving the flag for pet needs. And this is happening. Um, it started kind of in the UK, especially when we did the um, like the house show tours. But it is yeah. spread massively. You saw that happening across America, where yeah. people were getting flights from the East Coast to the West Coast just to catch us one more time before like we went and we didn't know when we we're coming back. Um, especially seeing it across Germany now as well, and it's um, amazing. I met like it's incomprehensibly incredible. For anybody listening who hasn't seen Pet Needs, try to get to one day gigs. You feel like you're in a party when you're watching. That's the, that's the great oh, thing so about it. Cool. Thank you. Tell me about the difference between the different uh, crowds. Like, how is Germany different from America, from UK, France? How, how do they differ? Um, I think Europe, there's a lot of difference in crowds in Europe. I think, kind of like, more kind of. Um, French or Italian or kind of like this, like language has descended from there. Um, it's really interesting because you go, I'm thinking that's just particularly in Belgium here, um, you play, and we'd been warned about this as well, you're, um, we were told you're going to go out and you're going to think you've done rubbish, but just wait till you stand on the merge desk. And like, so we went out and we played in Belgium um, and uh, it was like, venue was really nice the lights were really good we went out as you said like really high energy and stuff and people were kind of just standing there and kind of like nodding and when we finished um there'd be a round of applause like that and i was like uh, okay and i was like kind of a little bit uh, spooked by it yeah and then we all walked off going oh well, that's that's a shame well okay they don't like us but that's cool um and then we went and stood on the merch desk and people were like that's the best show we've ever seen in our entire lives and we we're like oh okay yeah. um and that was really similar um in paris as well right and um, it was a little bit different in milan because there was a group of people from kind of reading um that had all flown out to, it was people we didn't know until we met them in Milan and we walked right. out there's maybe kind of 50 people there all in our pet needs gear wow. and we were like what because there's only about 400 <laughs> people at the Milan show we're like what's going on yeah, yeah. and we thought right we're obviously huge in Italy and then we found out they're all from Reading <laughs> but it was great that was really cool so that kind of skewed it a little bit yeah. but again kind of like yeah they're you kind only of, need that one spark though don't you oh, like, that's do, it do yeah, yeah. people there like and it's like let's get the party started yeah that's it and then uh, like Germany and the Netherlands um, are just if um, if they like you then they love you yeah, and then yeah. there we've got um, a friend who is now a friend uh, called Vanessa who saw us at a show in Germany and now she just flies out to show so like if we even if we're doing like a house show um, or we did a in-store at um, uh, Best Days Vintage the other yeah, day yeah, and she yeah. flew from Germany for the oh, in-store wow. and you see that in Germany so much um, and there's people who kind of like follow you around from show to show um, and are at the barrier from the start and kind of really into it. Um, and then America, um, people are just, and I really liked actually, I listened to your podcast when you were chatting to people yeah. from, uh, uh, from America as well. It's, America's a little bit like being in a film where it's just everything's so emotive yeah. and they're so driven and especially because they knew it was our first time over here and stuff, they really yeah. got into the story. Um, the yellow bus. And that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, and it was, oh, I, t I told that story. You heard it on the first time I ever told oh, it really, because really? that was um, that was the, our um, yeah, our second gig and yeah, it's yeah. when it had happened. Whereas I had to tell that story about 40 more times. <laughs> that's uh, great though. Yeah. Really oh, that's cool. Um, but yeah, and they really, kind of really adopted us yeah. and they yeah just loved it and it felt that because people in America had started speaking among themselves and all decided that Las Vegas was a show that they were all going to fly to oh, yeah, and yeah. so we went to Las Vegas and again it's like another 100 people in our merch wow. in Vegas and it was <laughs> incredible and we had some people fly out from Derbyshire um, that uh, kind of flew out that we know one of the people that puts on our house show and we went out to the bar to meet them and then um, just kept having people 
stopping us for photos and stuff and it was like really weird it's like we're in Las Vegas here and it's bizarre <laughs> uh, and then English crowds uh, I think again on this tour because we've got a bit more profile in England now it's kind of a bit skewed like because we're playing to a lot of people who already knew it yeah. uh, but the English crowds on this tour were Good. So good. And now we're heading out again yeah, to do our yeah. own thing, which is going to be cool. <laughs> Your songwriting process. Yeah, yeah, sure. So is it words first, music first? Is it you or George? How, how, how does that work? So it starts, the songs, the first versions of the songs are written by me on an acoustic guitar in my spare room, usually. And like without fail, always starts with the first word of the first verse. Or, or, or if it start, starting the song with a chorus, it starts with the chorus. If it starts, at the beginning and then just rocks in a direction right. so it's not like i know lots of songwriters my brother included um, who would start like with a chorus and with a hook and then kind of like build yeah. it out might just start there and then just run there which is why some songs could be like six and a half minute long epic some songs could be like 90 <laughs> seconds but i just don't know where they're going to go um and then if i think they're good enough um i'll show them to george who's the proper kind of technical musician right. um, and uh, if he likes them we'll then go to his little home studio and start kind of fleshing them out um, and turning them to full band songs because I don't like I don't own an electric guitar or anything can't play drums or anything um, so we turn these kind of like or sometimes we'll leave them as acoustic songs as well but we'll turn these songs that have just been written on acoustic guitar and just build them into something big and then usually um, drop out the acoustic guitar as well so we don't even need the acoustic for yeah. them um, and then yeah, it just builds from there really. It's, 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 and I have a lot of trust in the bands to take it. And I kind of like know what my strengths are, but also very much know what their strengths are as well. Um, whereas when I did solo music in the first band where um, Punk and Dead is just up for sale, uh, like was in it, um, I wanted to control everything. Right. And now I kind of write my part of it and then kind of step away from it and they take it. Nice. Um, sometimes bits that I don't like and I'll kind of uh, like be vocal about that but I just yeah. try they're brilliant and then there's yeah. if you hear bits in songs where um, like we've kind of had a verse and chorus and stuff then it goes into a big kind of sludgy kind of instrumental heavy bit um, I've had nothing to do with that <laughs> I love it but I've had nothing like all, all those big kind of like biffy clyro riffs and stuff yeah. like just all George oh, like he God. loves that so yeah yeah, yeah. fantastic it's interesting technique yeah well thanks ever so much for your time Johnny. oh mate it's and, been a pleasure good to yeah, catch up I've, I've, it's going to be really hard to edit this because I want all of it on. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, thanks ever so much for your time. We're so happy to see that you're, you're, you're sort of flying the flag for Colchester, but also yeah. for that you're doing it for yourself. You, you deserve it. You were, oh, mate, we, thank I you was so, so much. impressed when we saw you in Burlington. Oh mate, thank it you was, so much, man. It was really good to, to see you doing so well. You yeah. made it, you made it. It was, it was a it. big, big tour. Yeah, that was nice. <laughs> well, oh, thanks cheers, a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Let's listen to a track of Pitney's latest album, Primetime Entertainment, and the track is Lost Again. I think I love myself away when
Right, so Pet Needs come out of a hugely vibrant scene, the Colchester scene. We're really blessed to have some fantastic talent in this area. And while you're here, maybe you're a new listener to the podcast, come here because you you love Pet Needs. Hello, hello. You're one of our old... Steady, not steady, that sounds, makes sound boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, We're going steady one now. One of our previous customers. Mm, we, don't yes. do, we don't do loyalty cards or anything No, like no, that, no, but, but, but we any, do have some previous customers. Whichever one of those you are, if you haven't checked them out already, here's a way you can dip your toe into the culture scene, if you're not aware of it. Mm. I'm going to recommend two bands or acts for you. Recommend away. Right. The first one is the Mephs. The Mephs. The Mephs. the Mephs. Punk duo. Yep. Playing Download Festival next year. Doing very well around the UK. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on, Gertrude. And actually, the, uh, Frank Turner has uh, worked with them as, as well, I think, recently. Yes, Frank Turner has worked with them. Yeah. Recorded with them. Yep. That's yeah. right. So there's a bit of a connection there. Yep. And my other recommendation is one of your favourites, uh, Ben Brown. So ben anything Brown. to do with Ben Brown. Yep. Um, Dingus Khan, Superglue, or his solo stuff. His solo stuff. You know what? Ben was completely incredulous when I said this, but um, his 2013 Battle Royale, live at the Battle Royale uh, album is bloody brilliant. It's a live, really live, small pub gig, basically. But it's, the songs are superb. You can find him under Mick Squalor was his name, actually, for that. But uh, yeah, he's on Spotify. Fantastic. Lots of people reference Ben. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, Johnny mentions him in the interview. Yeah. yeah. He's mentioned all over this town. Well, there you are. You've got your homework. I don't want to see you back here with excuses. Where's your homework? Um, Oh, well, well, my dog ate my computer. I'm so sorry. And why are you wearing plimsolls? Because it's the 70s. Or maybe a whale ate my prophet. A whale ate my prophet. Oh, no. Is it a prophet? Oh, yeah. Sorry, no, he wasn't a prophet. No, no, what was he? Jesus was a prophet. Yeah, so what was Jonah? Just a guy. Just uh, he guy. may have been related to a king or something. Okay, so lots of things you pick up on this show. There's let's a, just let's... calm okay. down the biblical side. Okay, yeah. Anyway, it's time to go. Go on. So I'm going to say one thing to you. Go on. Bye-bye. Literary kings and friends talking bullshit again.